Lord Jesus Christ, you alone have the words of eternal life, and we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Give us grace this morning to hear your words, grace to receive them, and the grace to respond to them. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A few of you more astute readers probably noticed that I skipped over one of the, uh, the, one of the people passing by the man who was beat as I did the reading of the gospel this morning. And that was for a very intentional reason. It wasn't, actually. I just completely missed that part. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted thinking, you know what I should have been preaching on this morning instead? <laughs> and I got lost there. So there's no intention behind that at all. <laughs> what I want to preach on this morning and bring before you is, uh, is connected with the antiphon that we sang uh, this morning. Arise, O God, and rule the earth, for you shall take all nations for your own. And actually, in the con it can be translated that way, and it is in our prayer book and many other places. Uh, in the context of this psalm, and particularly in the readings that we have today, it's, I think it's better translated here, Arise, O God, and judge the earth. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. And it's actually a prayer that we find on the lips of the people of Israel again and again throughout the Old Testament, and especially in the Psalms. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. Now, that seems an uncomfortable prayer, I think, for many of us in this day and age and in our culture here in the West. And I think that's probably because so often we think of judging only in terms of labeling something bad or evil or wrong and then punishing that bad person. But judging in Scripture, particularly when we're talking about God as judge, it has a deeper and broader meaning to it. In Scripture, a judge is one who sets things in order. Uh, I came across a really good definition of it in one of the commentaries I was looking at. This writer says, as in Scripture, a judge comes to establish an order in which right prevails and wrong receives its just due. A judge comes to establish an order to create a society, a culture, a way of life in which right prevails and wrong receives its due. So a judge is not just one who declares what is good and right and one who pronounces what is bad and wrong, but a judge is also with one who, who acts with authority and a power to establish and uphold what is good and right and to not only punish what is bad and wrong, but also to rectify what is wrong and to ensure that restoration follows the hurt and loss that is caused by evil. And so when we pray this antiphon, when we ask for God to judge the earth, what we're praying is, God, please come and set things in order. That imagery that we had in the psalm of how the foundations of the earth are destabilized because of the evil that's in our world. We want to see that changed and things made stable and right in order to come. And this is indeed what God does, both in the lives of nations and in the lives of individuals. And our reading that we have out of the prophet Amos this morning is an example of God in action as a judge. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at. Because as I was reflecting on it over this past week in preparation for today, there were three 
things, three truths that came to the forefront for me that I wanted to hold before you this morning. And one is the reality that there is a standard. And the second one is the reality that there is corporate responsibility that we share in. And then finally, the reality that there is a need for a personal response. But let's begin with this reality of a standard, that there is a standard that exists. We'll be going through Amos, if you want to, uh, in your bulletins, follow along. That's on page five in your bulletins. We'll be coming back to this throughout the, the time together. And this is what Amos writes. This is what he sees. This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. I think we need to pay attention to this plumb line. He keeps talking about it. I think most of y'all probably know as well that what a plumb line is, it's a simple tool. It's a string that has a weight on the end of it. And you use that to determine whether a structure, like a wall, whether it is truly vertical or whether it is out of alignment. It's a standard that ensures the integrity of a structure. And now here in Amos, it is the Lord who is the one that is holding this plumb line in his hand. He has a standard for the integrity of his creation, for the integrity of his people. Now, again, I think this might be a place where we begin to get a little uncomfortable as we start talking about standards, about determining what is right and wrong, because our culture leans toward relativity and away from absolutes. We fear imposing our culturally created values on other people. But the Lord's plumb line, his standard, is not an arbitrary set of values. The Lord's standard is actually, it's a revelation of his character. It's an unveiling of the true nature and heart of God. When he holds the plumb line in his hand, it's a call to see the beauty and the goodness of who he is and how he has created our world in goodness and beauty for wholeness, for justice, and for delight. And when we're out of alignment with that, we're leaning away from life as God has created it to be toward destruction, disintegration, and death. And that's why in the Old Testament, when you read particularly in Deuteronomy, when God gives the law to his people, he gives it as a gift to them, and he gives it with these words. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you hear that again? And obeying his voice and, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days. It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And that's what it looks like for God to arise and judge the earth, to declare what is life and good and what is death and evil, and then to call us into life, life that is found in him alone. That's the plumb line. And it's a plumb line that he holds up against not just individuals, but entire communities, cities, and nations. 
That's what we see as we continue reading here in the book of Amos. In the prophecy, the Lord says, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. In other words, I am coming to judge. I am coming to set things in order that are out of alignment. And things at this point in the history of Israel, they are out of alignment, even though they're blind to it. So some quick context here, because what's where we are in the life of Israel at this point, it's several, many generations past King David and King Solomon. It's actually just a few years before they're going to go into exile. Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. We've got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And what's interesting is that at this point in time, Israel is actually doing quite well, it seems. They're at peace with their neighbors. They are increasing in prosperity and wealth and strength. And they actually see this as a sign of the Lord's blessing. God must be pleased with us because look at how good things are going, how well things are going here. But when the judge sets the plumb line in their midst, particularly through Amos, what's revealed is that the source of their prosperity is not his blessing, but their prosperity is coming from their greed. In particular, we read in Amos, <clears throat> excuse me, from their abuse and their deceit and the oppression, the way that they are treating and taking advantage of the poor and the people on the fringes of their society. And he shows how these injustices are flowing out of an utter disregard for his ways, out of their misalignment with the heart of God. It's actually even leading into a perversion of their worship, which we'll hear about next week in Amos. And God is holding the nation as a whole accountable for these actions and these attitudes. His corporate responsibility here. He's telling them, all of you are complicit in these crimes against my creation. And so all are going to experience the painful realignment of God's judgment, a punishment that is intended to lead to the deep work of conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to the restoration of life that God longs for his people in his world. And this is the work he is going to be doing in exile among them. And it's a sobering reality for us that we actually do share in the responsibility for what is happening in the communities and the cities and the nation in which we live. And so that calls for us to have a personal response. And what's interesting in this, in this part in, in Amos is that we actually get a glimpse at one person's personal response where the plumb line is set in the midst of Israel. The rest of Amos just contains all these words of prophecies, God's words coming through Amos to the surrounding nations and to Israel and to Judah. But right here in this chapter, we have this brief break where we get to look at the personal response of Amaziah, the priest. And Amaziah does not respond well. Because remember, Amaziah, he is a priest. And the role of the priest in that culture is he supposed to be one who shares in the responsibility, talking about corporate responsibility here, he's supposed to share in the responsibility of guiding people into the way of life and for calling people into the true worship of God. And then when people fail in that, to facilitate reconciliation between God and people through the sacrificial system. But when Amaziah encounters the Lord's plumb line, what does he do? 
He reinterprets Amos' words as a conspiracy to undermine the king and to destabilize Israel. And then he accuses Amos, he rebukes him, and he tries to silence him. Amos, of course, won't be silenced. And uh, Amaziah receives this, <clears throat> this personal judgment, which is, I think, particularly harsh because as a priest, he is out of alignment with the role that God intends for him to have as a priest. But this is his personal response. Our personal response, when we encounter the Lord's plumb line, whether we see it set in the midst of our communities or we see it set in the midst of our own lives, we're called to a very different response. And our first response, it might not be what you think. It's not to try harder and get it right and to make it right. There is this call, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week in Amos, because there is this call to participate with God the judge in naming good and evil according to his standard and to join in upholding the one and rectifying the other. But that, that comes later. That's a secondary response. Our first response goes back to the antiphon that we sang that we prayed this morning in Psalm 82. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. Because God has begun to answer that prayer already and in an unexpected way. I think most of you know that Israel expected God, when he answered this prayer, when he judged the earth, that he was going to do that by raising up a Messiah. Excuse me a moment. He was going to do that by raising up a Messiah, a chosen king, that had the power and the authority to defeat and destroy their oppressors and to establish their nation as the good one, the worthy one, the one worthy of the service and honor of other nations. But we know what happens. When God came to earth, he didn't raise up a king on earth, but God the Son himself came to earth. Jesus the judge came and walked in the midst of his people. In a very real sense, Jesus was the plumb line that God set in the midst of his people, revealing how out of alignment that they were with God's standard. We heard his standard in the gospel reading. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the temptation and the tendency of many people then, as it still is for us now, was to respond like Amaziah, to reject or reinterpret God's word, his judgment. The lawyer in the gospel reading is a good example of that, of one who is leaning away. He wants to justify himself, and he asks, well, who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds, well, let me tell you a story. And he holds up a plumb line. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he tells this story that we call the Good Samaritan, and he reveals how the lawyer and all of us as communities and individuals are leaning toward destruction, disintegration, and death because our hearts are out of alignment with the revealed heart of God. It reminds me of the first part of a, a quote from uh, Tim Keller about the gospel. I've got to quote Tim Keller because you haven't heard from Father Sammy in almost two weeks. And so we've got to bring Tim Keller in here. Here's how Tim Keller summarizes the gospel, the first half of that. <clears throat> we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. We're more out of alignment, more in the wrong than we ever dared believe. 
But that's just the first part of the gospel. The second part is this. We are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. And how do we know this to be true? Because the one who has the authority and the power to judge, the one who has the authority and power to establish an order where wrong does receive its due, and we're the ones in the wrong, the one who can judge us as sinful and flawed and worthy of death, what does he do? He dies on the cross, and he takes that judgment in his body himself, it says in 1 Peter, so that we would be forgiven, made whole, and made worthy of life. And so our first personal response when we encounter the plumb line of God, our response is to come to Jesus, to walk into his embrace, to be forgiven, to be accepted, and to be loved by him. And then together as a community of forgiven, loved people, then we move into our communities and nation where we do share responsibility for what is happening here. We join in revealing the heart of a loving God to our communities. And we do this, yes, showing what is good and what brings life and courageously declaring what is not good and brings death, but ultimately to point others to Jesus, not just Jesus as an example, as a plumb line, but to point to Jesus as the one through whom forgiveness and love flows into our lives, freeing us from fear and forming us into people and communities that are aligned with the heart of God, loving God and loving each other wholeheartedly. And that's what I wanted to hold before you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.